Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something. And I'm a little bit partly cloudy this morning. It's Monday morning, uh, November 2nd, about 8 o'clock or so in the morning. And, uh, man, was it a week. Uh, I had Georgia Tech hosting Notre Dame last Saturday in Atlanta and got to see Notre Dame for the first time in person. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I liked what I saw from them. Travis's Ohio State Buckeyes were looked really good against Penn State. Clemson, without Trevor Lawrence, escapes at home against Boston College, and we'll get into what's to come this weekend for the Tigers and the Irish in South Bend. You'll hear from Brian Kelly. My post-game interview with him was very interesting, and I kind of let him know because he'd been coaching his team that Trevor Lawrence would not play against his Irish in South Bend this weekend, according to Dabo Sweeney. Uh, his reaction, I thought, was so classy. And I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Travis and I will discuss that after you hear it. So much going on in the world of college football and all throughout sport. NASCAR as well, extremely interesting. Chase Elliott wins Martinsville. I watched that race on Sunday. And in doing so, knocked out Travis's boy, Kevin Harvick, from the NASCAR championship playoffs. I am floored. Uh, I would have, if I was a betting man, put my money on the four car or the 11. I've said that all summer long, all, all into the fall, that they would be battling one another for the championship. And as a result of what happened at Martinsville, Kevin had a very poor run. Chase was very fast all day, and they capitalized late for him to win that race. And he'll have an opportunity at Phoenix next weekend to win the NASCAR Cup Series championship. And there's another variable this weekend at Phoenix that is very important to me, and that is that it's Jimmy Johnson's last race as a full-time Cup Series driver. Uh, one of my very close, dearest friends, someone that I admire more than I can even begin to articulate. I've said in the past that as amazing as Jimmy is and, and his resume is as a competitor, more than 80 wins, uh, seven championships, the only other two drivers to accomplish that, of course, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt in the history of the sport. He's the only driver ever to win five consecutive championships, which he did between 2006 and 2010. He's an amazing father, and that's something that I've always admired so much about him, and I'm not alone. Kind of everybody in his sphere, everybody in his, in his life admires the way that he fathers Evie and Lydia. And he's a tremendous husband to Chandra. Uh, I've admired the way that he operates as a family man for so long. And he's the best friend to every friend. I probably know 15 or 20 people that would call Jimmy their best friend. And that's just because he just has a way about him that is a very rare trait. It's, it's one of the rarest traits 
I've ever experienced, and I've been blessed to, to go around the world and meet all kinds. He makes every person in the room feel like the most important person in the room, and that's very hard to do. It's very hard to be able to be as vulnerable as he lets himself be and engage in people that way. And there's no pretense. There's no agendas ever. Uh, I just I admire him so much in so many ways. Um, I love him, and I'm really, really proud of him. And he's got an amazing opportunity coming next year in the IndyCar Series where he's going to run 12 races. He's got a new sponsor, Carvana. He's really excited about that, and and so is his team. He's going to race for Chip Ganassi, which is uh, Scott Dixon drives for Chip and is is made. I mean, honestly, one of the greatest of all time. So Jimmy's going to have great equipment, and uh, it's just really shaping up to be a really fun 2021 for Jimmy and everyone that works with him and for him. My my dear friend John Lewinston, who's run Jimmy's business for 20 years. Uh, Alan Miller and and Michael Bill and and that whole group they kind of run the other side of Jimmy's businesses and so it's just going to be really fun for them as a family and and Jimmy Jimmy is going to be really good in those cars uh, he's been working really hard so I'm thrilled for him I wanted really badly to go see his last race in Phoenix uh, with a bunch of our friends who are going to go out there and and really immerse themselves in that moment for him and with him, but I cannot do it. And there's not very many things that would pull me away from that opportunity. But the thing that is pulling me away from that opportunity is uh, magical. And that is that Travis and I are heading to Augusta national. Uh, Travis is going next Saturday, right? I think Travis is going to head down Saturday. Yeah, I, my flight's at like 7 in the morning uh, this Saturday. I'm so excited Travis, to get down there. Travis is going to head on down this Saturday to Augusta. Uh, I will drive down Sunday morning, and we have the great honor and blessing once again of hosting and producing and providing the uh, Four Please Now Driving Official Masters podcast. We still, both of us have big grins on our face right now. We can't, we still just can't believe that, that Augusta National and, and Chairman Ridley and everybody involved in the greatest golf tournament on earth and arguably the greatest sporting event on earth would allow us that great opportunity. Uh, I mean, I was, to get the opportunity last year was amazing. And, you know, you never want to, you know, assume that you're going to get to go back and then, we were planning to go back and then COVID happened. And so that, that week in April was a tough one for us. And so then we're left, you know, wondering, is there going to be a tournament? If there is, are we going to get, you know, asked back? And so then to be able to go down in November to do this is it's a blessing beyond uh, comprehension and able to words to even say how thankful and blessed we are. It truly is. Uh, and, and this isn't, this isn't just a bunch of gobbledygook. I mean, we're not, we're not, this isn't, this isn't uh, ass kissing here. It's, it's impossible to describe what it, like what it feels like at Augusta National. It's, it's so, I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than, you know how it feels when you go home, no matter where, where home is for you, 
there's a very distinct sensation when you kind of enter that, when you enter that force field that is your home region. It's this rooted sensation of comfort or something. And that I actually, that's how I feel when I go to Augusta. And look, I've only been, I've only covered the Masters since 2017, y'all. This is only the fourth year that I've had the opportunity to go there. And the first time that I ever went was as a patron in 2015. And I wrote a piece about that experience on ESPN.com that posted the Sunday of the 2015 Masters. And I tried so hard to describe with great vivid color what I saw and experienced. And of course, it was, it was written in, in a way that I was looking through the lens of six or eight beers and, and great fellowship with Laney's uncle, Joe Kokoza, with whom I attended the event. And, and we just had the best time. I mean, we were giddy the whole time. And I, I had this line at the end of that piece you know, we that the sun was starting to make its way toward the western sky, and Joe, like we'd spent our day really immersed in the in the golf itself, and we he had always his entire life he had always wanted to see every hole at Augusta National, and he knew one thing about golf fans that I admire is they know these these famous and iconic holes and whatnot, they know it in their mind and they know every bend and and whatnot. And Joe wanted to go experience that. So we did. And we start walking all over the course and the leaders, this is late enough in the day where the leaders are on like 14. And so we go over and we're walking around the grounds and the grounds crew is is out doing their thing on the on the front nine and we just walked around and we're just completely taken aback at the undulations and how much difference there is in the in the topography like what the topography of the course is and he was telling me these stories and we just had the best time and then as we were making our way back to 18 to, to kind of see the, the end of the tournament. We were walking between one and nine down this row of Georgia pine trees. And there's pine needles, of course, in the bed of the trees. And you could hear the roar over the hill and the whole thing, just like you hear about in, in everyone's beautiful memories of, of the opportunity to go there. And this breeze, this, this spring breeze just comes rolling through those pine trees. And I looked at him and he looked at me and it was, we, we just got chicken skin and it honestly felt like it was him, me and the ghosts. And it was just amazing. And so I, I say all that random tangent, just as a try to try to give some understanding of, of how much it means to me and to Travis. 
to have the opportunity to get to be a part of that tournament in some super small way to get to be a part of that tournament. And I will go ahead and tell you guys, we have, we will have some content for you guys that you are just going to love, man. Um, we are interviewing each day. There will be an interview, a long form interview with a former masters champion that will anchor that day's podcast. And then from there, we'll have daily updates on what's going on in the tournament. Jimmy Roberts is, is going to come back and join us again for news and information and his perspective. I mean, Jimmy's been covering the Masters for probably my whole life. I mean, 30 years, 40 years. So he has just such a great catalog of knowledge about the tournament. We'll be interviewing today's stars throughout the week. I'm going to write an essay each, each day on what I see and, and what it looks like with no patrons there. There's not going to be any, any patrons, not many fans. That's going to, that's going to be a, a very weird thing. Like walking on those grounds last year and I mean, being 20 deep when Tiger put it in on 18 to now. It's going to be very not, different. It's no gonna, doubt it's, it's going to be, be very different. It's going to be weird. It's going to be very different for the for the players as well, uh, and participants and how they're going to manage that. But they've been, you know, once they get locked in, it's golf. But it's not going to have the same feel because one thing that's always made me so intrigued is so I've interviewed Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Tiger Woods. Uh, those three come to mind that they have told me, you know, no matter where you are on the course, when you hear the roar, you know who it's for. You know what golfer they're watching and what, what that, that something big happened with that person based on what it sounds like. And I'm so intrigued by that. I want to dive deeper into that with some of those guys because they just know. Well, and also, Marty, remember Rory told you when you golf, if you're paired with Tiger, you lose. I think he said like a half a shot each time you're paired with Tiger because of all the crowd noise. That's right. He did. And, he you know, did. this this year with how the Masters work is the amateur champion gets paired with the Masters champion. So you're an amateur would be, you know, having all these nerves of golfing with Tiger in this massive crowd. And now it's not going to be there. So that'll be an interesting thing is you know that aspect what a great opportunity wow what an what an amazing opportunity and i go back to seeing all those young golfers all the young stars of today's game lined up to embrace him after he won last year's tournament kepka and McElroy and justin thomas and xander shoffley and tony finau and Ricky Fowler, they're all lined up right there to hug their hero. I mean, those guys are playing the game, at least in some part, due to Tiger's just uber, uber dominance of the game and the, the dominance of the sporting narrative in his prime. And – and then all those former champions lined up to embrace him and congratulate him because nobody 
thought he would do that again. And I was interviewing Brooks Kepka back in February in San Francisco, California, right before COVID shut down the whole, whole world. And I think back on that too, this is a super random tangent podcast. Sorry, y'all. Uh, but I'm just, uh, again, I'm, I'm straight up, I'm straight up like overly cloudy this morning. But I think back to that interview with Brooks, I had been immersed in college basketball at the time, flew from a college basketball game, I think in Nashville, I think I had Kentucky at Vanderbilt, got on a 6 a.m. flight from BNA to Charlotte, drove up to Concord, got us back to Jimmy Johnson, got on Jimmy's plane with him, flew to Daytona to do a sit-down interview with Jimmy about it being his kind of last ride and last Daytona 500 and reminisce about all of our fun times together and his remarkable career, first ballot Hall of Fame career. Go from there to go from Daytona to San Francisco and got out there in the middle of the night Took a nap, got up, interviewed Brooks. Well, Brooks told me that that he saw Tiger in when Tiger's back was really bad. They are both metal. Uh, they are both members at Medalist Golf Club down in Hope Sound, Florida. And Brooks was actually there with a wrist injury the day that I had the unbelievable opportunity to sit Tiger down and have a long conversation in uh, I think it was March 1st, 2018. And, and Brooks told me that the tiger he saw when he was really struggling badly with his back, he was like, man, I, I, it, there's no way. There's no way I, 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 we ever thought that he would play competitive golf again, much less win the Masters. And what a magical time. I am so fortunate I can't believe that I got to stand there and watch that happen. Like actually watch it happen. And it's one of those moments I just wish my dad would know. One of the coolest moments for me was I remember sitting there watching on TV when Molinari got wet and I just immediately went out. And then to the, the most amazing part for me then was the press conference with his family and to be standing right behind his kids and they're the joy that, you know, they've never seen success and yeah, they got to see point. it. Yeah. Yeah. He, and, and, and him actually saying that him actually saying my, the most important part of this for me is all my kids ever knew is that golf hurt daddy. Golf, golf was always painful for daddy. That's what his children knew. And now they've seen their dad as a champion. Like, think about that. Everybody looks at tiger as one of, if not the best golfer of all time. And we, we reminisce on all these great moments, but the people that are most important to him, all they think of golf is pain. Yeah. That's wild, man. And, and he's just really happy for him. Everybody is, and, and will always be because it's like those folks grabbed me and, and told me right there in the moment. Those, uh, some of you listen may not know that story, uh, but as Tiger was walking in to sign his card, I was feverishly writing notes because I couldn't have my cell phone on the course in this notebook. 
uh, which is actually right over here beside me. I still have the notebook. And I'm taking all these notes about just what I'm seeing. I'm trying to write down all of this vivid detail about what I was witnessing just then so that I could regurgitate that on ESPN's platforms later. And this guy grabs me by the shirt sleeve, by the jacket, and goes, Marty, I need a minute. And I look over. I'm like, what's up, man? And he said, we are Clemson University campus ministers. And I said, oh, hi. I thought he was going to talk to me about football or something. I was about to be like, man, this ain't the time, dude. He said, we see ourselves in Tiger's victory. I said, huh, how? He said, we are all capable of big mistakes, but we are also all afforded the opportunity at redemption. What a profound statement and a profound moment. It gives me chills every time. It makes me, makes me wiggle. Well, it's also to have that thought process like in the moment with everything going on. Like It was complete chaos it was, at yeah. 18. It was bedlam. Yeah, but, it, you know, as, as a man of faith and someone who believes, it's not surprising to me that, that someone who made his life's work to draw people closer to the Lord, uh, that that's where his mind was. That was not surprising to me at all. But I did look right at him and go, you have no idea how easy you just made my job. Thank you. High five the dude and let back when we could high five people. High five the dude and, and ran to the nearest camera and, and shared that exact story. And then oh. I wrote that. And, and then from there, I called my publisher. Okay, so the next day. And so after we got done with all of our reporting that evening, I went straight to the house that we, uh, myself, Travis, Michael Eaves, and Matt Berry called our home for the week right there in Augusta. Grabbed all my suits, all my stuff, threw it in the in the truck and put that loud pedal down as hard as I could push it to Orlando because of my family. We were spending the next week at Universal Studios. And uh, my daughters were infatuated with Harry Potter and they really wanted to go to that. And so Lainey and I made that trip. Uh, plan, no, that's a lie. Lainey planned that trip. I was going to say, you, you didn't do anything. I had not, not a damn Lainey, thing to do Lainey with Lainey runs I had nothing to do with that. That was all mama. And so I got down there and as I was driving, I got to thinking, I need to call my publisher. I need to call my publisher and I need to get that story. I need to write an addendum to my Tiger Woods chapter in Never Settle. And fortunately, my publisher heard the story and went, that has to go in there. Go ahead and write it. We'll figure it out. And I mean, you, so my book was due January 15th. This was April 15th or something. This is right at my birthday. So they were putting, I mean, that book was put in bed, man. It was done. And uh, Sean Desmond, my amazing publisher at 12 books in, in Manhattan, right there on Fifth Avenue, Avenue of the Americas, made it happen because he's a magician. And, and that story just has resonated so much. And I'm really thankful for all of that. Um, but back, back to the original tangent of us going to be down there. I think, you know, we're not going to have a podcast next week because we're going to be busy. But I think if our listeners listen to that podcast, 
they're going to love it because these conversations that we're going to have with these former champions, um, they're going to be entertaining. I can promise you that. And so not only you know, entertaining, but, but, but they're going to, they're going like, you, you got to think about folks like Jack Nicholas and, and winning six times and the iconic 1986 masters when he just crushes the back nine and comes back to win that tournament at 46 years old when everybody said he was done. And when you get to, to, to hear him in 2020 relive 1986 and it plus he's, I mean, he's Jack Nicholas, like he's Jack Nicholas. And so you guys are going to love it. I'm telling you just, just if you love great storytelling from the source, you're going to love it. And, and there are so many champions who had so much going on when they won that tournament. Like you think about 2004 with Phil Mickelson, for example, you know, he's O for 47 in major tournaments when he wins the 2004 masters. What must that have been like to, to remove that from your, from your back and carrying that? And what's it like to carry that? And then 2010 for Mickelson, his, his wife, Amy battling breast cancer at the time and, and how emotional must that have been or the amazing shots that it took to win some of those tournaments, Bubba Watson. So we're going to have the great opportunity to get, to get into those fine details with these folks. And I just can't believe it. I just can't, I can't believe it. Um, I can't believe it. Uh, and so, I can't wait for y'all to hear that. Travis is right. We will not be doing a Marty Smith's America podcast next week because we're going to be in it, man. We're going to, and, and not only am I going to be doing the Masters podcast, but I'll be making ESPN television throughout the week as well. Uh, if you guys are unaware, College Game Day will be at Augusta National. Everybody at Augusta is just thrilled by that. It's going to be a, an amazing thing to witness. Uh, to have the, the greatest program at our network uh, at the greatest sporting event. And, and I just can't imagine what that's going to look like. Like those shots, I can't wait to see what the course looks like. That's what I'm most interested in is, is to see what that course looks like. Just because I know that they, they only do the best. I know it's gonna look, but you're just wondered what those colors are going to be like because it is – you know, November and not April, but it's still going to be just perfect. I just know it. For a little kind of precursor, if you guys are interested, I wrote an essay about the coming tournament uh, next week that, Travis, it comes out today, right? Uh, I believe it will be pushed out today. Okay. Uh, the Masters, for the Masters official podcast, it's called Four Please Now Driving. Go ahead and download that. And you guys, again, you're going to love the content that we, Travis and I, and, and everybody involved, Mike Crowley and Jonathan Baker and Virginia Dent, everybody involved down there at Augusta National, what we're able to do. Um, and so grateful for the amazing participation from the participants uh, in, in such an important week in their life. Y'all are just going to love it. Um, 
So can't wait to get there. Um, I am, I guess we should shift gears and talk a little college football now that I've gone. I mean, I just went on like a 20 minute tangent, didn't I? Yeah. I don't think we were planning on going that long, but listen, uh, as we just said, the masters do everything first class here on the, this podcast, though, we just kind of, you know, roll with it and go on tangents. So, you know, that's just how we go here. Fortunately, it seems like our listeners enjoy that. They enjoy, and I do, you know, I've, I've learned a lot, be honest with you. I had, I had so much concern about what Marty Smith's America was before probably Jan- January or February. I mean, we Travis and I had probably been doing this podcast for two years or so, and I still didn't really know what the hell it was. We were trying to figure out what our voice was. We were trying to find kind of a groove or some sort of consistency in what we believed it was. And then I think maybe even during the quarantine. I, I think the quarantine is where we, we fit our strike, as, what's, as crazy as it sounds. Well, we I, I, honestly, it's because we had to stop, Travis. It, it demanded of us that we stop. We had no choice but to stop running and trying to, you know, ram a, a square peg in a circle hole. And, and just make it we, – we, we, we went from making sure that we were able to tape something to strategizing how to do it. And as a result, the feedback that you guys have given us is awesome. Man, we, we love it. And on that note, I'm just going to be shameless for a second. If you like Marty Smith's America, tell your buddies for us. Tell them to, to subscribe to us please, because there are more and more and more partners that want to be involved with this podcast. And it's partners, you know, like DraftKings, like NetSuite, like Quip, that like Dr. Pepper, they really want to be involved in this thing. And the reason is y'all. They wouldn't want to be involved if you guys didn't enjoy it and subscribe to it the way you are. And so I'm just really appreciative for your loyalty. And I hope that if, if, if we're not giving you the content you want, tell us, you know how to get to us. You can get to us on social media. You can get to us on the, the review section. Uh, Travis is always scouring those platforms to find great questions, to find great interview topics conversation topics so he sees it so don't be i mean be fearless in that um as i've started to consume more and more podcasts i've realized how much joy i get in just hearing dale earnhardt jr talk or just hearing justin moore talk or just hearing whatever podcast it is that i'm listening to talk and that has infused me with self-confidence that it's okay to just ramble on here because the, those of you who enjoy what Travis and I are doing seem to like that. And so, and, and certainly you love the interviews. That's what you come for. But every now and then we just got to ramble a little bit, just like today. So before we talk ball also, so as I said off the top, I had Notre Dame at Georgia Tech this weekend, and I really like what I see from Notre Dame. 
they run the ball really well. They defend the run really well. And that is a championship recipe. Now, where I think they have to evolve a little bit, Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator. Of course, he played at Notre Dame for Brian Kelly. Ian Book is their quarterback. And they have a tremendous relationship. Ian told us, uh, I did that broadcast with Dave Pash and Mike Golick, and, and we met with, with Ian before the game. And he said that there's tremendous comfort in having Tommy Reese as his OC because he's lived it. He knows what it is to be a Notre Dame quarterback, all the expectation, all the pressure, everything that comes with it that unless you've done it, you just can't really grasp. You can't really understand the context of what it really is. And that's really infused book with a lot of confidence. Now, I feel like, and, and this may be inaccurate, I'm not Kirk Herbstreit. I'm not David Pollock. I, can't, I don't know the game the way those guys do. But what I see is this. I see that I think for them to win the national title, I think they got to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit. They got to, there has to be more explosive plays. Now, the fact that they can run the ball effectively opens up those, those explosive plays. They're there. Ian Book missed a couple throws against Georgia Tech that should have been touchdowns. And so it's there if they can fine tune it. Now, I asked Travis to go find my post game interview with Brian Kelly because I wanted you guys to hear it. Uh, from ABC, when I uh, when when Coach Kelly was coming off the field after they beat Georgia Tech, I felt like his insight not only on how they performed Saturday, but what was to come next Saturday was really keen. Here's what Coach Kelly told me after the game on ABC. Coach, 12th consecutive win, the longest streak in the country. Congratulations! What did you learn about your team tonight? Um, the, you know, winning's hard. You know, and look. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about the things that we did well today, but, you know, our standard of play has got to be a little bit better. Um, you know, we're, we've got a great team. We're playing next next week, and so we'll enjoy the win, but, you know, there are things out there that, that we can't let happen next week, obviously. You know, we, we kind of back loose on a blitz. You know, you do that against really – Top-notch teams are going to get beat. You can't turn the ball over the way we did on the three-yard line. Uh, you know, you got you got to do those things. But I'll say this. These guys have done such a great job of winning consistently, and, and they understand that their, their level of play has to move up. Today was about the little details, and they have been great about the details. So we'll clean those details up because uh, their spirit – uh, and, and their want to is great, and we're excited about this football team. You noted you got a big one next week as number one comes Colin in South Bend. I don't know if you're aware yet, but Dabo Sweeney announced earlier today that Trevor Lawrence will not play. Well, I wasn't aware, and it's a shame, obviously, because, you know, you want Trevor Lawrence to play in a game of this magnitude, you know, when you when you have two really good football teams playing. But, 
you know, look, this thing runs through Clemson, and, and uh, it, I, I don't know if they won today. I, I I don't know what the score of their game was. Do you know if they won they today? Yes, sir. It was so, a tough one. Boston College gave them all they wanted, but they so, did win. So you assume that, you know, you're going to have to beat Clemson at least twice. You're going to see them again. So, you know, we got to take care of, of what we got to take care of, and that is we got to play a little bit better. Um, but we'll be excited about being back at home uh, and, and playing next week. How classy is that? How classy is it for him to say? Look, he knows, everybody knows that Clemson is Notre Dame's obstacle in the ACC. And for, for Brian Kelly to say, all right, look, we are welcoming a number one team to South Bend for the first time in my tenure at Notre Dame. They're going to be without the best player in college football. And what did he say? That's a shame. Because games of that magnitude should have the best of the best of the best there on that national stage. And unfortunately, because of all of the heart monitoring that Trevor has to undergo as a result of ACC's, of the ACC's COVID protocol, it's unfortunate that Trevor won't be able to play. And I just thought that that comment was so full of class and I appreciated that that was his – and look, Coach Kelly didn't know. I, I told – I broke that news to him right there on national television live, and his immediate response was, that's a shame. I mean, he didn't even know if they won the game, and you could tell that that was an honest thought. And then he also went even further and said, you know, this runs through Clemson. Like, mm-hmm. he, that wasn't Coach speak that he gave. It, it no. was It was and- Coach Kelly – being ex- extremely honest with his thoughts and his thoughts were accurate. Let me get my, I have my notes from the game, which that's a whole other story. Remind me to tell that story. I have my notes from the game, from all the coach interviews and player interviews right here beside me right now, which I dropped off Saturday night at twelve fifteen AM when I walked in the door. Um, I want to find I love this, okay? I love this so much. You talk about not coach speak. Let Let me tell you a story about Brian Kelly. So Brian Kelly was known for the first many years of his tenure at Notre Dame as like the red faced yeller, like just yelled all the time and and always red faced and, and wasn't like, didn't embrace the media and all that. And he don't, that ain't, he doesn't have to do that. By no means is it his job to embrace any media, but he didn't. Okay. So it came up during our conversation with him prior to the football game. And we asked him, when did it really change? Like when, when did it, what was the moment or catalyst for this new perspective and approach? Travis, how great is this? He says, in the 2016 season, we lost seven games in the fourth quarter. That doesn't happen due to bad luck. It's bad coaching. That's when I reinvented myself as a head coach, and it's changed the look of our entire program. He said, I felt uneasy letting it go. And what he did was he got out of all the boardrooms – and all the game planning and got into the training room and the locker room, putting his arm around his players. 
learning their lives, immersing himself in their daily walks, asking about their parents and every girlfriends, everything that's going on for these 18 to 22 year old young men that those of us who love the game just don't, we don't think about that. Well, that, I was just going to say this. A lot of times coaches become more like CEOs and they have to handle all these things and they get away from why they got into coaching and that's the players and being around them, being that, you know, parent figure because the kids are away from their families. And so sometimes you have to remind yourself to, you know, stop being the CEO and be the football coach. And then that also creates that bond. And then all of a sudden your players are given a little extra because, you know, it that love is there and they feel it. No question. They know you're all in. And I love this too. He also told me this, and uh, this was my opening report on the game, which I actually did twice because we started due to another game, the Clemson game going long. We started on ESPN News and then switched over to ABC after the Clemson-BC game was over. Performance over outcome. I love this philosophy, okay? We win at Notre Dame. We've always won at Notre Dame. It's what we do. But what do we really have to show for all the winning? In recent times, not very much. So this year, they've taken this performance over outcome perspective. It ain't who we play, it's how we play. And if how we play becomes the standard by which we measure ourselves, because we run the ball really well and we stop the run really well, we have the makeup to be really special. Performance over outcome. And I have heard this, Travis, from so many elite coaches. Okay? We all know about Saban's process. And when I was covering Kentucky basketball, which, by the way, no COVID, I think Kentucky wins the national title. Anyway, I was around the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team so much. I covered them every Tuesday, basically, right, on Super Tuesday with, uh, with Jimmy Dykes and Carl Ravage. Calipari, John Calipari, told that team, play to your training. Not the scoreboard. The outcome takes care of itself. Play to your training. It's the same exact messaging. It's it, No, 3-2. It's the same exact premise, premise with using different words. Play to your training, performance over outcome. Same thing. And it makes so much sense. If you're playing to the standard that you set for yourself, then that means you're leaving it all out there. You're playing a faceless opponent. I just thought it was phenomenal. Uh, I just – I love that whole whole thing. And I appreciate Coach Kelly's insight, and, and I appreciate everything about what he said post-game, what he shared with us before the game, and what he shared with me in sit-down interviews before the college football playoff. I had a tremendous conversation with him before the Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago that I still remember very vividly on that same note, that shift in personality and what led to it. And he realized he just wasn't having any fun. And he's like, God, oh my, this, this requires way too much of your life to not be having fun. I'm watching my, you know, my kids' lives pass me by. If I'm not having fun, what are we doing this for? And I just, I'm, 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 I like, I just appreciate this, this you know, that coming this coming uh, game against Clemson, it's going to be an interesting one because I, I thought before Trevor went out that they would just smoke Notre Dame. Obviously, he's not going to be playing, and now 
they have a new quarterback, which little test here for you, Marty. DJ's last name is? I, I think I'm just going to call him DJU. Hold DJ on. DJ Ui Angalale. Ui Angalale. Um, DJ Ui Angalale. DJ you know, Ui Angalale. But it'll be interesting because, you know, Clemson had a, a tough game on Saturday, but they but just, that they wasn't still... the offense's fault. No, exactly. That's the thing about it. It had nothing to do with Trevor's absence. The defense couldn't stop a nosebleed in the first half. And so what happened? Brent Venables happened. He shored them up, and they're going to have to shore it up before they play Notre Dame because, again, Notre Dame runs the ball really well, and that opens up everything else they do. Um, I want to discuss quickly another moment that happened in that Boston College-Clemson game that was just phenomenal. Y'all know how much I love my boy Joe Tessitore. I had the great opportunity to broadcast a couple games, or first two games of the season with, with Joe and Greg McElroy while Holly Rowe was still in the WNBA bubble. Holly was still doing hoops, so they had me on with Tess and GMAC to call a couple games, and he's just a man. And this, he, he, that, that crew had the Clemson-BC game. Joe's son, John, plays for Boston College. And he is the holder on the field goal team. And so early in the game there, they uh, are lined up for a 40-yard field goal. And um, John Tessitore, Joe's son, runs up under center and draws Clemson offside. And Joe's call of that moment, his son's big play in that game, was just magic. It was just magic. And Joe did such an amazing job of the energy and the professionalism while you could still hear the pride of a father within that moment. It was just beautiful. I was, it was, I was watching that live and unless like, if you didn't know who was calling the game, you wouldn't have known the relation. That's how just, professional was the only way that might have uh, he was maybe helped with the call was i you know how many play-by-play guys know who the holder is that quick to yell his name but he was on it and then uh holly spoke with jeff halfley i think going to uh halftime or after and halfley mentioned halfley's bc's head coach mentioned testator being a proud dad and joe still had the wherewithal to go I'm, a, I'm an announcer right now. After the game, I'll be a proud dad. Like, you couldn't have been more professional than what he was on Saturday. It was it was such a cool moment. And, like, Twitter can be an awful place at times. But for that, like, five minutes, Twitter just soaked it all up. And it was it was a cool moment. Speaking of, Joe put a photograph of, of he and John on his Twitter machine after the game. And just – it was – it's just it's – be- it's just a beautiful moment. I mean, it's – everything that's right, and I just love to see it. I love that as a father, he got that opportunity to see his son succeed on that stage. And I just – as a father, it must just feel it, – it must just feel boundless. It must feel like you are the king of the world. And I'm just thrilled for Joe because he is – he will send me the sweetest text messages – to pump me up and ask how I'm doing and 
make wish- sure that I'm doing, doing well. And he'll see something that I'll do on TV and send the nicest commentary to me. So I wish I, could I have just a real special up, place in my heart for him. I wish I could just bottle up his like a tenth of his energy. Me he, too. He and I feel like people call me the Energizer Bunny all the time. They they talk about how I'm always so energetic and full of passion, and so is Joe. And we're very like, look, we both understand how damn fortunate we are to be doing this because. There's a whole lot of people who could be doing it in our place. And we're very grateful for that. We're not, it's not, not lost on us. I would love to hear what he thinks about it. You know, hold on, man. I'm going to text Tess right now, see if he's up and after it. And maybe he'll call in and just describe that emotion for us. Travis, we have succeeded. Tess just wrote me back and said, yes, sir. What number? Of, well, of I sent him the Zoom link, right? Of, I sent him the Zoom yes, link. Of, of course, he's already up. Yo. Okay, so I have drugged my boy Tess out of bed so that we could dis- – actually, you, you're one of those guys who's probably up at like 5.15. You're eating your oatmeal. You probably go for a six-mile run all jacked and ripped. Uh, what I'm an amazing – espresso number seven, dude. This is espresso number seven, 545. <laughs> it starts brewing. Travis was just saying he wished he had like a fraction of your energy. Now, Travis, we have the equation. It's espresso. Uh Tess, what an unbelievable moment for you and your family. It was just a a beautiful moment for a father. And you did such a great job of maintaining that your, your, your professionalism that you always have, but also while being able to profess a father's pride in a, in a beautiful, just what was that moment like for you and John? Well, first of all, Marty, I I don't want to make too much, out of it in terms of an athletic feat or any of that. I mean, right. you know, right. the kid didn't pass for 300 yards, he didn't rush for 100 yards, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't hurdle Christian Wilkins. But there was a, what we were most warmed by as a family is that in this one little moment of the backup punter, starting holder, you know, fooling and tricking the number one team in the country in their defensive line in this, this moment where you're going up by 18 at least to a touchdown. It was so authentic and genuine and sincere and to for America to react and see the warmth and authenticity between a father and son touched us. And we took a step back last night. We discussed this of just saying, hey, we're in a funny place as a country where there's not a lot where everybody gathers collectively, watches one thing and has universal agreement. And in that one moment on Saturday, it felt like we did where everybody was allowed to say, Hey, that was good, wasn't it? That felt right. That felt good. And we just haven't had enough of that in our news cycles in 2020. So if it touched people in that way of just the genuine love and pride of a dad and a son and a magical moment that a lot of times only college football produces, then great. Once it was over and you were driving back, what was going through your mind about it? And what was it like to see John after the game? I loved the photograph that you posted. It was really special to see him after the game. Now he's listen. This this kid's a, a competitor, and you know, so for him, it wasn't about his play. I don't think he realized how viral the thing had gone at that point coming out of the locker room. He was just about man. We were one play away in that fourth quarter, like we almost the number one team. We almost pulled off this upset, and then he paused and he started gathering himself and started discussing the play. Um, you know, 
keep in mind, Marty, that during COVID, when he got sent home from spring practice, like so many college football parents, we watched our young men um, be at home, away from the weight room, away from a football field, away from their teammates, having to make decisions every day to wake up and find a way to train, work out, stay sharp. We lived it every day with him. So I was out on his old high school football field, just the two of us in the depths of quarantine with a stopwatch, um, snapping underhand to him as he's getting punt after punt off, shagging balls as at the end of all these long sessions and sprints and 300 yard shuttles and, you know, doing body weight training because you don't have the weight room of, hey, I need 20 perfect snaps, laces out, let's go. I want them in the ground. I want them above my head, Um, you know, fake counts, hard counts. So we watched how much he put into it, not even knowing if he would be able to play a season. So at parents, you know, we sat back the other day and just were really appreciative and, and, and thought about, it was about six to eight seconds in a football game, but it was worth, you know, the four to six months of sacrifice. I know what the Tessator family is going to be talking, talking about around the table, eating Turkey and having that, $8,000 bottle of red wine you're going to have on yeah, the table. On. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, though, brother, as a father, any dad can can relate to the desire, the, 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 the innate desire to see your children succeed and within that success just have joy. Right, and right. And to me, that's the fundamental part of this as just, just trying to put myself in your shoes as a father. You just said you've seen the work. You know what it takes and what your sons had to do in order to even be there. And then to see him have this moment of success and joy on national television where he's received so fondly by his teammates running back to the sideline all of that is part of this equation and part of that moment for you too. It's, I know he didn't throw for 300 yards, but that doesn't matter. It's a beautiful moment of success and joy. It is. And sometimes I think it's those little moments that matter even more, those little small wins. And, you know, we're all running our own race at our own pace. And um, I think as parents, we all just want our children to have those moments of fulfillment, to be contented, to have little wins. Listen, there, there are parents right now, you know, where a little win is the fact that some kid took their first steps, that a little win is somebody got off the school bus and went in without having anxiety. Um, and hey, that kid, by the way, has, has overcome some stuff when it comes to that. You know, his true freshman year, he got thrown into, you know, week two, he thought he was redshirt. And next thing you know, he's the starting kicker for four weeks. And, and you know, he had, he had an extra point blocked. He had an extra point missed. He was, you know, He's had he's had stuff happen where he had to overcome adversity. He didn't hit the field last year as he was rebooting the midst of his college football career, you know, transitioning from being a kicker to a full time punter and and um, the grind. So we all as parents understand that there are there are a lot of small wins. And listen, if in any way what happened the other day was just one of those moments that touches people, touches parents and says there's warmth and goodness in watching your kid find success, then great. I think we all could use that right now. I certainly was inspired by it. I just – I couldn't help it. I didn't get home. I drove back after my game from Atlanta. 
and I got home around 12, 15 in the morning and I was trying to get caught up on, on what happened during, you know how it is when you're covering a oh, game, yeah. it's hard yeah. to even know what the hell went on. That's right. And so I'm trying to just look at, look at social media and, and have a cold beer before I go to bed. And I saw that and I just was like, this is the greatest thing. It really inspired me and, and your friendship oh, and sweet. mentorship of me, you know, how much it means to me and how much you mean to me. And, and I'm, I just appreciate you, man. And you deserve that moment. John deserves that moment. And America won because of that moment. So uh, you're very, very sweet. But that's because, you know, you come from a place of goodness of what it is to be a parent. You know, we're not going to throw no hitters as a parent. We're not going to be perfect. Our kids aren't going to be perfect. But cherish the little moments and cherish the little wins. I think one of my kids is yelling at one of my other kids right now. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Uh, I appreciate right, you. Marty. I can't wait to see you soon and, and hug your neck, man. Have a great week. Likewise. All right, brother. Be well. I'm so appreciative of him. Uh, th um, thanks, Tess, for calling in and, and giving us that perspective. And golly, Travis, how good was that? What? He's I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he said that about – given America just a moment because that's what it was. It was, you a said cold... it before he came on, you yeah, said it and, before he came on, but I'm glad that it wasn't just me, you know, thinking that, and then him seeing it because he's right. Like, and then to hear him talking about going out and just shagging balls with your son, like, how about that? A lot of work, but then there's also those mo like how cool it must be for him to, you know, be able to help him out like that and to see it like, and even though, like, that, that's a cool part of it. That's why, like, it's about joy and fulfillment and success and belonging, all those things. And it was even more special because Tess was a part of the grind. He is as a dad anyway, but when you're out there actually doing it, it's a whole other level. I just – I love the guy. Y'all could never know, and he could never know. When I was hosting SEC Nation and was very insecure about – my ability and what I was doing and how I was doing it. He pumped me up because he was the original host of SEC Nation. And he would pump me up, man. He would offer me pointers. Man, I think you're, I think you might have too much going on with your notes. You know college football. Dumb it down. You don't need to worry about having every, you know, and he just really helped me out. Even though some of the clowns on Twitter write me every week and tell me I don't know anything about college football and why do we still have to listen to you? Um Nonetheless, uh, so we have rambled now. Uh, is there anything else we have missed? Yes. Um, what? We need to go back to your game for a second. Okay. Um, it was Halloween weekend, and so candy's a topic. And yes. you and Dave Pat, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and oh, Dave and Golick put out a list. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that your four candies are bad. I'm saying your list is bad. Explain, sir. Well, I, I did see on social media that a lot of people were very concerned about my uh, – concerned about me after my list came out. Yeah, my list Twitter, was number Twitter one. Was Twitter was concerned, Marty. And then I think also they were a little, I, I think, disappointed in you. I think people called for my job resignation. Uh, there was a lot going on there. My number one candy was nerds. Number two, sweet tarts. Number three, peanut M&Ms. And number four, Reese's Cups. Now, anybody who knows anything about me knows 
that if I'm on a deserted island and I get one, if I'm on death row and it's my last meal, I want a Reese cup blizzard and a bottle of Jack Daniels. That's what I want. That's my last meal right there. Give me some Reese cups until I puke and some Jack to chase it down. So that's what I want. But everybody wanted to know, like Golick crushed me on the broadcast about having nerds. Number one, again, social media went bananas. Uh, uh, there's a guy here that was brought to my attention yesterday uh, named Corey Brinson. Corey said, I've never been more offended by Halloween candy rankings. Pe- again, people were questioning my mental state. Lots of stuff was going on. Nerds have staying power. Not only that, nerds offer you great variety. So do sweet tarts. They have staying power. I'm a huge Skittles fan. When I ran the Boston Marathon – you know how some people take energy chews and gels and all this stuff? No. You know what I do? I pack a, like, chewing tobacco wad or a dip wad full of Skittles in my face, chew it a little bit so that the sugar is just going straight into my bloodstream the whole time. Marty, nerds last all of, like, three seconds. You open up nerds the rule, man. No, th- oh, they're good. But you open up the box and you throw them in and they're gone. Well, hey, sorry. How, how can you have that listed as your number one candy? I'm not coming off it. I'm not apologizing. Nerds right, have I, great staying power, and sweet tarts have even greater staying power. You, you left off some other, some I think better options, but I at least can appreciate nerds. As much tarts. heat as I took on the social media, I took no heat compared to Dave Pash. What the what the hell is Dave doing? I, now, look, I, I got to be honest with you. I, any list that doesn't have a Reese cup even on it, that's real bad. And on top of that, like Cracker Jacks? That's Twizzlers? Not, that's not, if, if you hand out Cracker Jacks, you're the house that then going forward, everybody knows avoid that house. You might as well hand out a toothbrush and a penny. It's Look, it's 640 in the morning right now, Phoenix time. That's where Dave lives. Dave is the voice of the Arizona Cardinals. He had a game yet. He's like, look, Dave, I can't wake Dave up. If no, I could, I would call Pash and I would say, you need to come on Marty Smith's America and you need to defend your list. Because as suspect as many of you believe mine is, mine's awesome, by the way. Now, look, I don't – I'm out on Twizzlers altogether. I can't stand Cracker Jacks. Three Musketeers rule. When I was a kid, I would eat all the chocolate off the Three Musketeers and then go nougat. I'd have like a nougat bomb. Three Musketeers is good, but it, it has no – three of his four picks have no business being on the list. And, of course, Golik had the best list. I mean, nobody should be surprised by that. Golik did have a good list, but, you know, whatever. Again, it goes – it boils down to this. If I'm on death row and I get one last meal, I'm going to have – you know, I'll, I'll probably have some sort of meat in there too or a piece of fish. You something. won't have meat on there. You barely. Well, if eat I'm, meat I'm a man, I'm on death row. Yeah, but you barely. You'll. You're gonna ask for like a kind bar, a piece of salmon, and Jack Dan. Like you're. You would have the world's worst. <laughs> last. I remember when you were up here in Bristol for your book. You had a piece of salmon and a sweet potato, and that was yep. it. That's my favorite. I love it. I mean, it for me, that's the best meal. I love it. A little, little piece of black and salmon. Some asparagus or some broccoli, and some no, uh, no and, and a sweet potato. No I'm all in. So skinny. 
Um, Good Lord. Lean, not skinny. No, you are skinny. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is enough rambling for today. Thanks so much to Tess for calling in on a whim. Like, that wasn't planned. And, and, and sharing his amazing insight with us, perspective as a parent. And uh, can't wait to get to the Masters. This weekend, guys, I have a Friday night game. I have the Miami Hurricanes. I have the U at Dave Dorn and the NC State Wolfpack in Raleigh. That's going to be a great one. It's Friday night on ESPN, 730. I'm calling that game with Jason Benetti and Andre Ware. Get to work with the Heisman winner. It's going to be fun. And uh, so check that out. I hope it's a great game. I think it will be. And uh, and then Saturday morning, I'm going to drive home and do Marty and McGee in the truck again in my, in my Ram truck. By the way, how great are my commercials? Sorry, they're just awesome. That truck. That truck is the bomb, bro. Should I've I send out a photograph? I should send maybe maybe I'll send a photograph out of my truck. I've got truck envy. Um, it's a look, it's a sweet truck. I love all my partners. I'm so thrilled to be involved with every one of them, man. But that Ram truck deal is a sweet partner. When we get when we get back to a normal world, can we take that on the road and do some podcasts remotely? No doubt. Come on with it. Um Thank you guys for listening. Again, dude, if you would be so kind as to subscribe to Marty Smith's America, if you aren't a subscriber, if you are and you enjoy it, tell your buddies for me. Uh, we would really appreciate that. Rate and review, too. That matters for reasons I have no idea. I don't understand what it does, but it does something. And thanks so much to all of our partners who were involved in today's show. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials. Make a little uh, plea if you could. Subscribe to Four Please Now Driving the Official Masters podcast. Leave a review there. You know, listen, this is a shameless plug, but those reviews will help us out a lot if if the masters see you guys going over there and listening and uh, reviewing that. So if you could, you know, shameless plug to help us out, that would uh, that would mean a lot to us. Right. One thing I've learned again, listening to these other podcasts, is I've always been apprehensive to to request that help. Oh, you're but the worst. When I when I hear it on other podcasts, it doesn't annoy me at all because I enjoy the podcast. So anyway, uh, do that for us. We'd really appreciate it. And thanks so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep communities safe and, and our first responders and our firemen. And thank you so much to our United States military members uh, here in the United States and all over the world sacrificing so much to keep us free. We're grateful for every one of you guys. Huge week in this country. Go vote. If you're listening today, go vote. We appreciate y'all. This is Marty Smith's America. We'll see y'all next time around.